Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading for today literally simply picks picks up off from where our gospel reading last week left off. Now last week I didn't preach on the gospel, and since I'll assume that maybe you don't remember at all exactly, let me first begin the sermon by reminding you what Jesus had told his disciples in the portion of this reading that we read last week. Jesus, we are told, had spoke to his disciples in a way that seemed rather odd to his disciples. He said that in a little while, his disciples would not see him. And then in a little while again, they would see him. And he told them that when they saw him again, well, they would have a joy. A joy that no one could take away. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus was no doubt first speaking about the events that were soon to happen to him, not long after he spoke these words. Yes, when Jesus spoke these words, he was about to be taken out of the disciples' sight. He was about to be beaten, crucified, and then placed out of sight in a sealed tomb. And no doubt, just as Jesus had predicted when this happened, the apostles who had followed him for years now would weep and lament. The one whom they had placed all their hope in was now dead and out of sight. Because of this, Those few days between Good Friday and Easter morning must have seemed more like an eternity rather than simply a little while that Jesus had spoken of. They could not see Jesus, and therefore his light was no longer visible. And because his light was no longer visible, well, the disciples' world was very dark indeed. But then in a little while, three days to be exact, He did see Jesus again. He was raised up from death to life. He appeared to those very apostles and to many others. They saw him, and his light again shone for all to see. And Jesus assured them that the joy they felt that day, on the basis of his resurrection, well, that joy could never be taken away from them by anyone or by anything. But Jesus was not simply giving them a rosy outlook on what was to come. No, the fact that they now had a joy that no one could take from them did not mean that there would never be another day where things seemed awfully dark. No, indeed, while Holy Week And especially what happened on Good Friday was the darkest of days. There would come in the future days and months and years other times when it seemed like the lights were again being turned down. They had been told, after all, that a life of following Jesus was a life of picking up a cross and following. But when those darker times came for those apostles... Jesus told them to do two things. First, they were to remember Jesus' victory. 
They were to remember Easter morning. They were to remember that Jesus, after having been taken out of their sight for a little while, indeed had been restored to their sight, and gloriously so. And secondly, when those difficult times came, they were to pray. For Jesus, by his death and resurrection, had made it possible that they could run right into the Father's presence with their petitions and with their praises. He promised them this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy might be full. We, too, have tribulation in this world. Now, sometimes those troubles come upon us because of our own misdeeds. Other times, perhaps, they come upon us because we bear Christ's name, in a world that hates us and hates him because of all that he has done. And sometimes those troubles come upon us for reasons that we can't even figure out. We don't know where they came from and we don't know why they came at all. But when troubles come upon us, no matter the reason, we are to do the same two things that the apostles were to do. We're to remember Jesus' victory, and we are to pray. For the same promise he gave to the apostles, he gives to you. Hear him say it to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. They are promises so grand that we often try to lessen them immediately after they're spoken. We want to cry out right away, well, surely he didn't mean what it sounds like, he said. After all, we've prayed for things that didn't get them right away. We try to throw up all sorts of, well, yeah, but, in the face of Jesus' promise. But when we do this, We should not be surprised when our joy then is not full. For then, when we do these things, we show that we have lost confidence in Jesus' victory and in his promises. Oh, to be sure, this verse is not meant to suggest that God has simply become the great genie in the sky who will simply grant our every wish of hearts, no matter what they are or if they are according to his will. But it is absolutely to confirm that we have unfettered access to the most powerful force in the entire universe. That he will give to us those things for which we pray in Christ's name. That's the promise he makes to us. And what does it mean to pray in Christ's name? Or put another way, how are we to pray or what are we to pray for? Well, Jesus, of course, taught that as well. And it is the Lord's Prayer that teaches us not only how to pray in general, but also teaches us how to pray particularly in times of trouble. When the dark moments of our lives come, when tribulations grow, When troubles are all around, we are to pray like we always pray, 
We are to pray that God's name might be kept holy. We are to pray that his kingdom might come. We are to pray that his will would be done. And so when that person ridicules you for your belief in Jesus and his word, or when that relationship goes south and you know you had a big hand in helping it go there, or when that diagnosis comes out of nowhere that rattles you to your core, pray to God in those times. Pray that God's name might be kept holy throughout the entire process of that thing as you testify to him and his goodness throughout it. Pray that his kingdom, full of peace and joy and healing, might be manifested to you. Pray that whatever he knows is best, that that would be given to you. But then continue to pray. Pray, give us our daily bread, forgive us of our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Yes, pray that God might give you daily bread, just what you need to endure each of those dark days. Pray that God might forgive you your sins for those times when you forget his goodness and take out your frustration on others. Pray that the darkness of this world might not lead you away from the light of Christ and into temptation and sin. Pray that he might deliver you from the evil that is obvious and before your eyes and from the evil one who obviously does not always like to be so obvious. Yes, these are prayers that we have been called to pray. We pray them with boldness and confidence. We pray them knowing that God will answer these prayers. Yes, his is the kingdom and the power and the glory after a little while in the grave, he was seen again by his disciples. He proved that he had overcome the world, and we trust that he has power over all things. Yes, God answers these prayers that he places into our hearts and onto our lips. We ask and we receive. He gives us these things, of course, not always exactly as we imagined or desired them. But he always gives them. You see, there's never been a Christian who has prayed that God's name would be hallowed or that his kingdom would come or that his will would be done that was told no. It's never happened. There has never been a Christian who has asked for daily bread or to be delivered from evil or to be kept from temptation and be told no. Never has a Christian asked for forgiveness and not received it. In his perfect time, and according to his perfect will, he promises that these prayers are answered yes. Oh, for a little while you may not see him, but then you will see him again. And when you see him, well, then your joy will be full. And that joy, it will not be able to be taken from you. Oh, Satan loves to come quickly when he knows that Jesus for a moment seems hidden from our eyes. He loves to run in and tell us that that means that Jesus doesn't care, that he's not able to help us, that he doesn't want anything to do with us. And he urges us not to pray in those moments. 
For Satan, he is the ultimate killjoy. He wishes to rob from us our joy. The joy of knowing that Jesus is alive. The joy of knowing that Christ has conquered the world. The joy of knowing we have access to the Almighty Father who welcomes our prayers and promises to answer them. Put simply, Jesus, or excuse me, Satan does not want you to have Jesus. For he knows that if you have Jesus, you will have joy. But here's the great news. He can't take Jesus away from you. No, Christ abides with you, and we abide in him. And therefore, our joy cannot be taken away. And Jesus, yes, he is the ultimate joy giver, for he has defeated Satan, and he has given himself to you time and time again in simple things like water and word and bread and wine. He promises to you day after day that the Father hears your prayers and says yes according to his goodness. Friends, in this world, you will have tribulations. You knew that already. But take heart. Jesus has overcome this world. Oh yes, for a little while, you may not see him. It may seem rather dark, but then you will see him again. And no one, not even the evil one, will be able to take that joy from you. Amen.